Yo, 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 it's me back again with Level Zero Literacy. I am so excited to bring you our episode on Kentucky Route Zero, an absolute opus that was not a delight to play, but something that was so enriching. Now, during the episode, we are going to spoil the events of the game from beginning to end, like always, and we're going to discuss content that includes, but is not limited to, substance abuse, aging, and death. So please use your best judgment before proceeding and enjoy. Hello folks, and welcome back to Level Zero Literacy, where today we are collectively upping our horse girl levels by one. Yes. As always, I'm joined by my handsome co-host Buck. Form a union. And Mason. I thought of my mom yesterday. In the dark recesses and asymmetrical corners of the past, I still remember the look on her face, the somber times, the before times. We are buried with the past here. I have built a monument of what things we tried to remember, what things we tried to retain and keep. Also, My mom meant a lot to me. Do you know why? She used to collect jams and jellies. It's the first memory I have of her. How much of this did you write down? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> also joining us today, we have a special guest. It's John. Hey. Hi. Thank you have, so much for having me. We have a couple questions for you, John, Please. that we ask customarily of any first-time guests on the show who plays a lot of video games. All right. First question, what was your first console and your first game? First console, NES. Got one for my birthday. I got one game. I got the Mario Brothers Duck Hunt combo. Yeah. Oh, obviously. Classic. But I got a, a separate game. And for anyone that knows me, this is funny. I got, it's pinball. It's the Nintendo pinball. I didn't even know there was a Nintendo pinball. There is. It was, it was one of the release titles. <laughs> that can't yeah. be good. That can't <laughs> Excuse be very good. Better than you think. Like if you, wow. It's a very rudimentary pinball game, but as someone who has, who loves pinball, that was that was it. All right. What is your all time favorite game? Kentucky Route Zero. Okay. Good. Fantastic. You're all, you're on the right episode then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is your all time favorite piece of fiction? Like period, book, play, movie, TV show, concept character, album. Character. Yeah. Character work by a comedian. Oh, you said concept album. My favorite piece of like just art as a medium. Okay. <laughs> I think I have an answer. My friend AJ Schrader is a sketch comedian. And he wrote a sketch about two gentlemen on an elevator. It is the single funniest sketch, maybe piece of comedy I have ever seen in my life. I can't tell you about it because I want everyone to experience it, even if you don't get to. The, it's worth it all for the punchline. It escalates, and then there's one punchline, and it's, it's my favorite piece of I art. They said they were on an elevator. They are. Were they escalating? But they are escalating oh, on the elevator. All right. All right, you got me on that one. Is it posted online somewhere? Maybe I, I, I can I can try to find oh, it. Yeah, we'll put yeah. it in the show notes. Uh, but like anything accessible, anything more easily accessible, I would say, boy, I think ooh, the the draft scene in The Last of Us might be one of my favorite pieces of fiction. Just that moment. Yeah, that's a good. Tr- that's a that's a good pick. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. All right. What is the worst game that you still love? Oh, man, the worst game that I still love. Okay. Like a game that's critically 
panned. Oh, a game that's critically panned. But I was going to say. But you don't right. care. Something that's close to your heart, even though yeah. it might be cringe uh, or low quality. Okay, uh, I do. Um, there's a game called SWAT 3, Close Quarters Battle. SWAT 3, Close Quarters Battle. Yeah, it, wow. you're a cop. You play a cop in the game. And again, for anyone who knows me. I don't like cops very much. Anyway, you play as a cop and you run through these different scenarios and it's just your career as a member of a SWAT team. You can like control other members. Like there are different levels where like there's, I remember one, there's like a hostage situation. You have to like subdue the suspect without having the hostage killed, you know, whatever. But sometimes you're like busting up like a guy who had, who ran from the cops and has weed on him. And, (laughs) you know, there's like a lot of moral... There, there's no moral ambiguity in the game. It's like, no, this guy did it. You might have to shoot him. Uh, and it, it, it's just the desensitization of it. You know, it's just the normalcy of it. But I will still play it because my friend introduced me to it a long time ago. And it's just so fun to play. I don't know what's a funnier idea. The idea that there were two previous games in the SWAT series and someone's like, cue it up for, cue a third. It up for number three. Or or the idea that someone saw one of those uh, like light gun arcade machines it, and they're like, what if they had a story mode? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's Sierra. Sierra Games made wow, the SWAT really? games. Yeah. Yeah. I like their stuff. I like their shooters usually. All right. And last question is you were given an unlimited budget, time, team, whatever resources you need uh, to make any game on any premise. What game would you want to make and what type of game would it be i know this one's a thinker i just want it on the record yeah. that i asked sam if we should send you these questions beforehand and no. he said no <laughs> no i like the on the spot <laughs> questions what kind of game would i make well i would make uh, a, a type of i think walking simulator i don't i'm using air quotes but like one of those like kind of open world dear esther type games where it's it's very narrative everyone has gone to the rapture i don't know if you guys have played that but an open world game like that, something with a lot of atmosphere and something with a, we'll talk about this later, but like one of my favorite things I noticed this playthrough of Kentucky Route Zero is it's liminal aesthetic, just that very clean, simple, like what's, go, what's going on beyond what I can see on the screen, something with that kind of aesthetic. And it would be more narrative, I think, than just game or goal driven. You ever, you ever played Road 96? No. You might like that one. Road. Road 96? Road. Road, Road 96. Okay. It was the very first game we covered on yeah. our podcast. Some of it, it checks some of the boxes you've just talked about. Yeah. It's a cool game. Well, excellent. Uh, today we are going to be talking about the literary point-and-click game, Kentucky Route Zero. KRZ follows Conway and Shannon as they attempt to find a mysterious address and deliver the last antique from the shop Conway works for. Along with their uh, along their way, they meet a cast of colorful and cryptic characters, locations, and other wild and mystical things. The game is split into five acts, each of which is split up by a brief interlude. Acts tend to focus on the journey of Conway and Shannon, while the interludes tend to flesh out the world and secondary characters. Kentucky Route Zero was developed by a small team who goes by Cardboard Computer and was written by Jake Elliott. Central themes include addiction, debt, capitalism, the creation of art under capitalism, and rural communities. I think I speak for everyone when I say this is certainly the most cryptic and text-heavy game we have played for this show, 
And I want to lead us into our discussion today with a passing thought that came up while I was talking to Mason about his struggles digging into this game, in quotes. Uh, Buck, can I ask you what your relationship to the theater is? Not a lot early, but during the six years I taught, I did things for our theater department between just helping out generally up to acting as a character in musicals because we didn't have enough boys who could sing. Okay, so you're, 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 you've, I, I know we've all probably like consumed theater obviously but you've so you've done some like high school I, production stuff. i i i played Farquad in our shrek the musical okay. that's so cool so that's yeah. so, so cool. here's here this is i think this is the most this is the easiest way i can kind of dig into the different levels of appreciation we might have for this game so i obviously studied theater in college john i know you have a very long history with theater this game to me is not a a book. I think this mm. game reads a lot like a like a play would yeah. if you were to just read a play in I you know. I agree. Yeah. So, and I I think the reason why I want to make that like that specific comparison is because Whenever you do theatrical analysis, there is a lot of text that is very, very dense and difficult to understand. You know, as a theater person, you have to train reading scripts like Waiting for Godot and, you know, these plays that are just completely nonsensical and figure out what it is, like how it's going to be staged what is the motivation of all these characters, of all these people? And I I think that having that extra training really gave me a different level of understanding of this game because I can understand the importance of the mundanity of the dialogue of some of the characters in this game. Whereas someone who might not have had that training might hatch like might struggle more to quote-unquote get it you know what i mean yeah i i'll be very open and say like that was a huge point of friction for me as i played this game is you know i don't know how many of y'all grew up in the prime no child left behind years but i don't think i had i don't think my education really equipped me super well uh for decoding this kind of very heavily text-based and like very heavily abstract kind of stuff and it was constantly a struggle with me thinking about it like after i've played and reflecting i've been able to kind of work my way through some things and hold you know formulate some very solid things that i think are like directly textual and directly like what the game was trying to communicate but like it it was a near constant headache for me (laughs) well and you know the other thing is is like so like when you're talking about literary analysis in school specifically, I mean, most kids struggle to figure out what like the Scarlet Letter is about, right? Yeah. And like the Great Gatsby. To not even get onto it, like I, I hated the Great Gatsby as a kid because like everyone was terrible. And and that was like 
me getting the point but missing the point of it, right? You understood, uh, <laughs> you understood it, but you did not. You're so close. Like, I hate these people. Yes. Yep. <laughs> sometimes Correct. sometimes You're stories so are about to. bad people. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating that you bring that up because of, like Sam mentioned, I, I do have a performance background. And from the moment I jumped into the game, I assume, like Sam, you know this as well. There are certain ways to read certain text, especially when it comes to a theatrical production, wherein italicies are typically internal monologues or thoughts. There are directions as far as like whom to whom a person is addressing a certain line of dialogue. There are actions that are in brackets. So when I played this game, when I sat down and played it for the first time after seeing a brief playthrough, it, I just took to it, but I didn't stop to think, oh, for someone who doesn't understand the, the, the technical aspect yeah. of like holding a script for a play, I think that can be off-putting. Like you said, that, that, that can put you at arm's length, Mason, and I can understand where you're coming from, especially with so text-heavy, like you said, in such a cryptic kind of avant-garde language. I, I can completely sympathize. Oh, yeah. Uh, by, the, by the end of the game, it, everything was starting to click. Uh, for me, but it took the entire length of the game. I suspect if we were not playing for this podcast, this would have been something I bounced off of because by by the end of Act Three, I was like, it was like a headache. But I will, you know, I don't want to like just levy criticism. Like I said, and I it bears repeating. By the end of the game, everything really like the wheels were turning in my head, and I I do think it's like a very beautiful work. I think this is also something that more people are going to appreciate in retrospect rather than in media res, right? Is that the, I feel yeah. like, yeah. Yep. Like you, this is, you know, I, a lot of the people I'd see talk about this game online compare it to like a piece of modern art where when you're just looking at it, you're, you might not understand what it's supposed to be right away. But when you sit at home and you think about it, you can start to formulate what it is trying to get at and and you know in along with that you know to continue like the modern art analogy this game is hard to engage with for like you know a typical like steam gamer right yeah and you know it's like if you look at other easier to process video games it's like oh his name escapes me but like that dude that just makes paintings of like houses out in the countryside right everyone loves it but like art Bob critics Ross? no I, I can't remember Thomas Kincaid yes Thomas Kincaid uh people like really heavily criticize him for just making like saccharin very simple yeah like it's Easy just digest. Y- you like yeah. this because Sir, it, it gives nice. you a specific feeling yeah uh instead of you know, making something like what Kentucky Route Zero is, or, you know, like when people look at like a piece of modern art that's like a urinal or uh, like just one color, you know, people, there, there are levels of, and I don't want to get too pretentious with this, but this is a true statement. There are levels of appreciating the work that goes into that kind of thing that it's harder for like, the layman to do and that's just an education thing that's not you know it's not a fault of a person to not be able to engage with art i think that's where 
I think that's where a lot of times people get alienated on that kind of thing is because they think that they are worse or they are, you know, that the other people that do get it are just like pretending rather than it being like, it's okay if you don't get it. Let us help you. Let us teach you the ways to properly process the things that you see in a, in a setting like this. Yeah. You know, and if, yeah, if there is one right way to deconstruct any piece of art, you know, and you can even consider like, maybe that's why these guys chose to make a video game right. to, to tell the story as a medium. So someone who plays video games, but may not necessarily understand or appreciate the style of storytelling may give it a shot, you know, and, I mean, that's kind of what happened with me. I saw a YouTube playthrough of like the first act, like the very first scene at Equus Oils. And I was like, this is just kind of my speed. Like, I love the art style. I love the dialogue option. So I blind bought it and I mean, burned through it in like three days. Like, <laughs> could not stop playing it. Yeah. But anyway. So let's, let's, let's start digging into the game a little bit. I've made a fuck ton of notes. So. I think let's just I think we'll just kind of go through the acts one at a time and we'll just kind of hit on the main bits and bobs what we on talk about. So starting with act 1, you know, we open on Equus Oils. We open on Conway just trying to find his way. That first that whole first sequence of just getting introduced to all this stuff, you get to name your dog. Yeah. I think all of us named her blue i feel like that's just gonna be like the default you look at that dog and you're like that dog that is dog's blue. name that's is that's blue. blue that's and she's a sweet girly yeah homer and come on it's al- blue almost immediately you get introduced to the first mystical magical thing of this world where you go into the basement of this gas station and there's people just playing D at a table and then you turn the lights off and they're gone i would i would almost say the first thing that seemed mystical to me was the fact that there's an entire metal horse buried underground that they build a gas station around that's also how did that get there who had the idea to do that (laughs) there is a there's a lot of horses if you were to like pick one thing to be the central imagery in this game it would be horses horses yeah oh yeah they come back and i you know there's a lot of reasons why i think this game is uh set in kentucky but i mean the obviously the the connection between Kentucky and horses. Uh, is, quick question. You know, uh, <laughs> not ignorable. Have any of y'all been to Kentucky? No. no oh, okay. Uh, have so you? I, I, I probably I, yeah, have. I, I have. I have been to Kentucky. <laughs> the reason I ask <laughs> is because of the part I saw of Kentucky was by a military base. And the things that I physically saw were directions for how to get to a horse racetrack went to a Nashville hot chicken place that was in Kentucky and strip clubs. <laughs> Fucking rules. Yeah. And the rest was Kentucky just like home. flat and empty. Yeah. <laughs> and, flat and empty. Yeah. Do you want food, gambling, or strippers? Let's or go. nothing. Or nothing. Or nothing. <laughs> so the first time I really got confused by this game i got confused by a lot in this game but i you know i the further it went on the more i put pieces together the first thing i got confused about in this game and the thing that i'm still not even really sure about is as you're driving around the area of the map 
there are stops that you can make that don't have like a scene attached to them. They're just like little small little things you can explore. And most of them, I was able to kind of like piece together the intent of most of them. One of the first ones you can find is a museum, but it's not the museum from later in the game where all the houses are. It's a different museum. And you can go in and there's like some small exhibits and stuff. And I believe there's some books. Yeah. Eventually you can just like sneak in deeper and like break a bunch of glass (laughs) and just like kind of vandalize the place. Yeah. And one of the things that really stuck out to me about this scene is that there's a part where Conway, you can either put, you can like lean up against the, it's so dark you have to like lean up either against the wall or the floor. And I remember it because uh, it, it specifically calls out that it's warm to the touch and that when Conway breathes on it, it causes, con- he can feel the dampness of the condensation. And the first thing I thought is, is Conway cold? Because if if he's breathing on a warm surface and it's causing condensation, then his breath is cold. So, so but like that. So that was the first time I was like, oh, I really have to like get into the headspace of the game. I have to get like get to where the game is trying to take me because there's gonna be some weird shit I'm gonna have to figure out over the course of this game. And some of it, you know, I think the first thing I figured out is like that museum scene doesn't really mean anything and that's okay. It's just, we're just trying to begin to make you comfortable in this space. So like, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of this game is just like stuff you experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where, so like the thing I'm thinking of in, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm trying to remember, I th- so you can run into a guy with a guitar and a dog and I'm trying to remember I think you could try to toss him something and it just doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, I can tell you exactly what happens. Yeah. What what was it? You he he plays a guitar, he has a coffee cup oh, yeah. next to his guitar case and you throw yeah. a dollar in and, and when you do it says the guy shakes the coffee off of his dollar and hands it back to you. Yeah. It was just like you're kind of a dick. Like you thought he was like playing for money, and nope. you throw money, and it's right, just his coffee. Right his coffee. Now, <laughs> which is a great bit. Yeah. yeah. It's here's, awesome. here's the other thing: is there's a lot of things that keep coming back in this game, like little images that you don't think will amount to anything. One of the things of those that I found in Act One was the two guys pushing the plane. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, which that, comes back in Act Four, just on the river. Also, the, the guy with the dog in the guitar case also reappears on the river. Yes, and yep. did for me. Yep. So I want to revisit something you said a moment ago that the scene at the museum doesn't really mean anything. Which, like the specifics, right? Conway right. vandalizing and resting might not. But like one one thing I I, I was able to kind of piece together is that the game is about this town that is like obsessed with preserving the past and like moving on from these dark things that happened in the past. And it's like very concerned with history. And it's like this gentle way of like getting this theme in like early and often is like this town is like so focused on the past. They have two museums. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's, it's just, it's like a, an interesting, it characterizes the setting more than it does Conway. But like, that's such an important part of the setting throughout the entirety of the game is the, is the game is about these ghosts that haunt us from the past 
these things that these other people have done that we live with and through. And it's like, yeah, that's just a, that's just a fact about the world. It's not a fact about the characters, but you know, this place is like history is so important that they have two museums. Yeah. Well, I mean, so eventually like as you kind of navigate your way to figure out where the zero is, you know, the first indication of anything you get is that you have to get to the zero to find five dogwood drive and the most grounded scene work to me in act one is the entirety of the mines sequence with Shannon, you know, thinking back on it now, I didn't really realize how important the mines were to the whole of the game when I did it in act one, but looking back on it now, that was them beginning to sow the central messaging of the whole game and and in a way that was really heavy and hard to process like that 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 moment where you get to the bottom of the track and it's just where the cave in is and there's just all those miners helmets that's something you would normally experience in you know that would be like the climax of a, a reg, like a regular narrative game. Like that would be like the big reveal is, you know, this, this thing that happened. And that is one of the very first things that you experience in this game. And I'm sure it was different for people that played this game episodically as it was released. Cause it took seven years to finish, but there was just like a real magic to that. And especially now that I'm like, looking back on it it's it's really incredible how they showed you what the game was about really early but didn't explain it in any way what happens it so i clicked i i accidentally you know part of part of engaging with this game is figuring out what clicking on things means and by this point i hadn't figured out that whichever one i click on will probably mean who i follow yeah but what happens if shannon goes down what does she find? Because I stayed with Conway. If I remember correctly, I did this on a, not this most recent playthrough, but another one. I believe she finds a tape recorder with a tape. Did you, you guys got to the conversation where Shannon is talking about her parents versus yeah. Weaver's parents. Yeah. Weaver's parents were high class. They were lower. It's a tape where the subjects being studied are uh, Shannon's, parents or grandparents i can't remember which one it is it's her parents or her parents yeah. yeah so it's a it's a scientist doing an audio recording talking about her parents and you can listen to it too which is really yeah which is fascinating and i was gonna ask like the mines do have a lot of like little neat stuff kind of tucked away i know on this most recent place i did not explore everything because i was i've this was like my fourth time, I think, playing through it. But I made sure to hit up like the highlights. Like you get the song in the mind with the ghosts of the miners, which yep. just <sighs> it's goosebumps just talking very about it. Yeah. Good. Uh the cave in with all the mine helmets, and then the the tape you find at the end of the track with the like very garbled recording. Those are the most like yeah. I loved all the little the little knickknacks that they the miners left behind. God, the fact that it's like yeah, the company sold them just pieces of garbage so that they could feel more like people when they were down in the mines. Just 
Oof. So, one thing I wanted to mention here is the way you navigate through the mind is very similar to the way you navigate the zero. Yes. Yeah. Oh, very good point. (laughs) And and you would never. Do you want to? Do you want to go into the mechanics of like navigating the maps and 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 that? We can. It it it's important in a way because you know the first map you experience is just a highway and it's like you know top not topographical but like if you were looking on google maps like top down and you were just you're just tracing around that and you know that's all like very logical sense and then the zero is like very abstract all the directions you get are like okay go to the gun and then turn weights and then turn around and then go half a quarter, uh, half a circle counterclockwise and you'll find the spire and then stop at the spire and then go forward another half a circle and then you'll find your destination. The rules. That's really funny. That's, yeah. It's like I can't work out in my head if it's a spiral and then you, or but you just like can't perceive the upward and downward motion. Or if it's just like this like weird ephemeral space. Well, that's the thing I think they captured so well with the zero is that there really is no left, right, up, or up down. down. You know, it's it's that it's liminal space. space. It's yeah. that space between spaces. And the well like sound in the static, like the first song. Here was the other thing I loved about it is that, you know, this game's a lot about rural communities and navigation, obviously. And in rural communities, they don't, no one's going to tell you about what road you're on or whatever. They're going to tell you the landmarks to look for. Yes. Yes. So, you know, when you're out in the boonies or whatever, you're not looking for, you know, X road. You're looking for, oh, yeah, you're going to take a left at the general store and then you're going to go for a while, you know, a little, a little further than that. And then you're going to take a right at the big tree that's been. That's always on fire. That's, that's always, always on fire. I think that's one of the first directions you get on the map. It's yeah. like take a left or take a left at the tree that's always on fire. And then sure enough, you click on it. It's like this tree has been burning for a long time. You're yeah. Like, you All think, right. I'm in for the ride. You yeah. think like he tells you that and you're like, oh, the tree just gets like hit by lightning a lot. He means it's always on fire in the sense that it's, it's on fire on very fire. often. Yeah. No, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's perpetual. Okay. I remembered my thing. So the the first thing was just a general observation about media that's starting to frustrate me is we have played less than 30 games for this podcast and a large majority of them put workers rights front and center. Yeah. When based. like the vast majority of all media does not do that. Yeah. And fascinating. <laughs> it, it it is so weird to me. Like why do games specifically get like the ability to tell these kinds of stories and do these kinds of things? It's because I mean, I'm sure it's money is the primary well, it's, reason. It's that but. well, you get obviously indie games. Indie games are going to be allowed to take more risks like that. They're allowed to tell more of those stories. But also, I think video games as a medium are one of the best ways to explore workers' rights because it more directly puts you in the line of stakes as to why you need to care about this right when you're watching a movie about workers rights it's easy to just like get caught up in the characters or whatever but when you're playing a game it's directly impacting your ability to play the game right you know 
if if you're if you're playing a game and the whole point is like you know to make money or whatever right it, and you're starting off as a poor person then you have to get some amount of rights to make progress to proceed you know there's different ways to do it but like it's 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 something that when it's used as a game mechanic it can actually elicit an emotion or a response that you might not get from another form of media. I think it's just more effective at doing that point. I have I have a different answer entirely. However, I do think that that's completely valid. I don't think you're wrong. I just think there's it's a complex thing. I think video game designers have like labor rights and job security and like how they get treated on their mind a lot more than creatives who work in other fields. With the for the, you know, notwithstanding the last year and a half or so when we've had this big AI scare, if you get hired on as a writer at like Paramount or NBC or even like Sci Fi, that like you understand that there's like a very good level of job security that comes along with that. You might be acquired by a larger production studio or TV station or something like that, but the worst that could happen is like some amount of people in your department get like laid off and restructuring you also have a union yeah you have a union (laughs) if you get hired as a creative for like ubisoft or activision you know like in six years the company could be gone because the industry is just still new even like giants from 15 years ago are just they just don't exist anymore like luke like could you imagine you know the the people who grew up playing all the LucasArts games. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. LucasArts. Oh, you mean literally me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. LucasArts is gone. And like, could yeah. you even imagine like, like golden a, era. a studio that is backed by George Lucas just like disappearing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these people, that's their career path. That's so like, it's probably just like on their mind constantly. And so before we get too far away from it, the thing about rural directions and speaking about like being in Montana or what or Kentucky or whatever, And I mean, so like we live in a not very rural city and I'm pretty sure we all grew up in a kind of rural place, but the rural where we grew up and the rural out in the Midwest are very different things. Not comparable. Way, way different. Um, Yeah, not at all. And like, you know, I've lived here my whole life and, you know, I, I am from a town with three stoplights. I am used to those weird kind of directions, but they've always made less sense to me. But uh, I've recently spent a lot more time like out in the Midwest, and those directions with landmarks matter a lot more simply because the road names don't matter, and like there's too many roads. And sometimes the roads aren't names, really. Yeah, it'll just be like <laughs> State Road four thousand six hundred fifty-five. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you know the the landmarks matter because like there's nothing else to look at there's no other landmark to tell you where to go yeah 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 you're gonna take a left at the tree huh well yeah it's the only tree there's the only tree tree. (laughs) you'll know if i could speak for a moment one thing i jotted down the the two things that jumped out at me this time you were talking about the structure of like a theatrical play when you start the game and it just comes up act one scene scene one one, yeah and you're like all right, this isn't a level, this isn't a stage. It's and a then, scene. And, and then just, I think it goes black, and then the words Equus Oils just yeah. comes up. 
So, and that's all the game gives you throughout the game. That's how it goes with each act as you beat, finish each beat of the story. Like it's letting you know, it's like, this is a story. This is not your typical game. Trying to let you know that early on. The other thing is I cannot say enough about the sound and oh, music yeah. design for this game. Not only is Super it, good. it's, is it a narrative device with a lot of the songs we'll talk about, but also just the ambient sound, like the lack of music in certain scenes that hit you so hard and just like I want to shout out specifically Ben Babbitt who was the composer sound designer sound engineer for this game unreal just absolutely unreal work maybe my favorite thing about the game honestly. it's really good you, you want to know one really that like incredible. specifically I thought he captured perfectly was during the Xanadu scene the sound of just like an old computer game oh, <laughs> I was like oh my god this dude has a deep understanding of Zork like <laughs> and every time it got me again like there's that scene where you're playing in Xanadu and at first like the message is all garbled you can tell it's trying to say something but you don't know what the first time you unlock it by doing that remedy whichever remedy you pick and like the screen comes in clear I did a fist pump I was like yeah like I was like Matthew Broderick in war games like yeah I hacked yeah. it we got the we got I got the computer game working yeah so the only the only other thing on act 1 if anyone wants to touch on it is your first encounter with Weaver the probably the most cryptic character in a cast of and a, a very weird. cryptic characters. Yeah. Weaver Marquez. I, it's when I looked when I was thinking about it when I was like thinking about that scene again after finishing the game the scene where you first meet Weaver Marquez after the, you drop off the going to, oh, at going the house to her, going to her house yeah TV at her gotcha. house mm-hmm. I was like I wonder if she was just hacking into the TV's airways like she does at the tv station and that was just her she wasn't there physically ever at any point (laughs) and that was like that was just conway's obviously we're just like at this point in the game we're just seeing everything through conway's pov so that would him like seeing her on the tv he just like shortcutted to like her actually being there i i think the most interesting counterpoint to that is when you walk in and her house is dark and you turn the light on and she's just standing there yeah her car is there and when you go to leave the car is gone it's true (laughs) it's really i mean and i I like that there's like no real explanation of what's going on but like once i learned she later in the game that she had like hacked the airwaves Uh as a way of communication I, i was like is that is that what was going on in act one I, I don't know. It was really cool. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and I, I think, I think that's why Shannon worked on TVs. Like she was mechanically inclined. You know, she was always working on stuff. I think she also she had some idea or something. But Weaver was on to it because of her parents. Yeah, like yeah. This is a game about death and tragedy and the space between spaces. Yeah, I just isn't it isn't it wild to think about that the first image you zoom in on as you're going to drive on the zero for the first time is the neighbors. <laughs> the na- yeah, yeah. It's, it's the horses. Now, yeah. that you, now like looking back on it, you're zooming in on the barn because the barn I think is where like either that portal is like where that channel goes. Yeah. Because you remember in act five, when you go in the barn, that same barn if you walk into it as the cat, like you get those that like swarm of like yeah. almost like black locusts or something. I think there's a connection there with that barn. It's weird. 
Yeah. And before we leave Act One, I don't have anything to say about it, but shout out to sticking your hand in the tanks in the. That's <laughs> <laughs> really funny. That's a very fun. It you almost have... turns into like this text-based horror game. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the the employee picks you up off the ground. Is like, don't touch the eel. Yeah. <laughs> what? Why did you do that? Why did you do that? <laughs> you can do it again. Yeah, and then you do it again. <laughs> I like so when you good. just te- you like stick your hand and it's like yeah it's like a a bowl of flesh. You're touching a fish. What did you expect? <laughs> so <laughs> it's really good. It's awesome. So the first intermission that we see is an exhibition of the work of a sculptor named Lula Chamberlain who we don't have any real clue that is. And the people who are in the museum are also characters we don't meet and physically meet until much later in the game. Yeah. Well, it's it was so it, it, correct me if I'm wrong. It's the folks you saw playing D&D, right? Yes. 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 Same trio. You, you see them playing in D&D, you see them in this museum. In the museum. Or, or in the museum, they're the musicians. Anytime there's they're bluegrass the people yeah. playing, yeah. they're the gr- they're the the people who write stuff about this game have dubbed them the quote unquote Greek chorus of this game because they are they take that role. They and they're, and they're omnipresent. Absor- yeah, they're they are observant to everything that happens. You know, so they're kind of your connection to that world. Yeah, in a, in a way, yes. they're the one. They're like one step departed from the game and one step and departed from. The they're game. also the people who like run the TV station, right? Yes. 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 Well, okay. Uh, yes. Amy, yeah. it's Amy, Bob. It's on the name. Emily, list. right? Emily sounds yeah. right. Emily, Bob, and Emily's the producer. A, it's another three-letter guy name. And then Bob and other three-letter. Emily, guys. Ben, and Bob. Ben and Bob. Ben that's and right. Bob. Old Ben, Bob. Well, I think they're from. The other place, yeah, like where Five Dogwood Drive is. I yeah. think yes. they're from, yeah, they're yeah, from yeah. the the town with no roads. The town with no roads. The town with no roads. Yeah, yeah wherever we're, a, t- oh, a there's, town. There's no yeah. to which it is referred. So, I think the nice thing about the interludes to me is most of them just kind of set up something about whatever is happening in the next act. Yes. Well, if I can provide some context on those interludes, they would release those a few months before they would release the next act of the game. Oh. So, as a little teaser, you got like a, depending on your play style, like it would take 30 minutes to maybe hour and a half, two hours to finish one of these interludes. And it was inter- It was just a little taste of like Lula Chamber because she's very prominent in act two. You find out most of her story those interludes, as they came out, were little teasers for the next acts of the game. They also, like, a lot of the interludes I found, like, kind of teach you how to engage with the next act. Yeah. Oh, great point. Yeah. Because, like, in, you know... The tape. Yeah. Yeah. The tape exhibit. That In, in that specific oh. one, in that specific one, it was like you're um, kind of walking through a modern art installation... And there's a lot of cultural ideas that we kind of associate with modern art, that it's very abstract, that it's hard to know. That it's interactive. That's, yeah, that it's interactive. That postmodern. It's, I'll call it postmodern. Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and then, like, you get to the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces, and it's just this, like, government office sitting in a cavern. The floors aren't connected 
architecturally by anything other than an elevator there's a floor where just bears <laughs> just bears. <laughs> the bears I floor love bears. <laughs> and it's like oh, okay i get it That's this is like a, uh yeah. this is the floor where the bears are That's... and there's like they've got little windows carved into the cave walls where they have tvs just like playing nonsense and you can like watch the tvs and you know after the after the interlude it kind of gets you in the correct frame of mind to be like okay I want to think about this, how I might think of a piece of art in a museum, like some kind of big installation, like some kind of big artistic work. Because, yeah, I think also in Act 2 is when it really opens up to you getting more freedom to explore or experience as much or as little as you choose. Yeah. Because uh, it does take you on a little bit of a fetch quest going up and down different floors. It's a very it's a tried and true design in game design because they want you to experience that those environments, you know, they built them for a reason. But outside of that, like if you choose not to go to the bears floor, you don't have to. If you choose not to find the organist, you don't have to. Yeah. Right. Are are you Will. diminishing your gameplay? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't you want to go to the bears floor? They all stop their they, meeting they and they all stare stop at you. and just stare at you. It's like <laughs> you're not a bear. You should get out of here. Get out of here, not bear. <laughs> we were having a meeting. Also, this is the bears floor. You're Conway. I just love the concept that it's like floor three bears. What is that? Oh, yeah. they're bears. That's, bears. that's where the bears are. <laughs> like, the bears what are. else would you call it? <laughs> I think the thing. So the you know the opening and act of act two is you know you go to the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces for the first time and you meet Lula, and I this was the first time in this game that I got the impression that this game, one of the core themes of this game is being an artist is not forever being an artist is not a a sustainable way to live in cap in a capitalist society you know it did it did make me wish that lula would have gotten the opportunity to interact with people like junebug and johnny like people who were like living this just like not sustainable terrible (laughs) lifestyle only in service of like making art doing their art yeah. yeah That would have been a, I, I mean, you get to see, she acts as kind of a, not a foil, what do you call it? Just just a complete juxtaposition of those characters. And it's like really fascinating to consider them together. But they don't, they don't, they barely, I don't think they even at all interact in the story. Maybe Junebug's around when you are with Lula yeah. once, but Junebug do. doesn't show up until Act 3. Yeah. yeah. And Lula is almost, yeah. contain, almost entirely contained in Act 2. Yeah, like you run into her again in Act 4 or 5. It's interesting to see that preceding Act 2, you have that exhibit of... And that, like even before you you begin, like you read the, the little paragraph about her on the wall, and it just gushes over like how her work was denied for so many years because a lot of people found it to be impossible in practical implementation. Right. You know, these were all just high fantasy, and she made them come to life, and she was now renowned for this style of like installation artwork where there's my favorite one is the uh i guess like the old like mimeo not mimeograph but like typograph machines like she got it to spit paper in a certain direction that swirled and made this like piece of abstract yeah yeah so cool the i was really reminded of I'd, i'd seen a video of a museum where they just installed a roller coaster in the museum and only one person can ride it every hour. <laughs> just pure fancy. Yeah, just yeah, pure, pure like yeah, yeah, that's exactly it's what all it is. it's all whimsy. Yeah. It's all just like And that reminded not me a practicality. lot of, it reminded me a lot of Lula's concepts of what an, what a sculpture looks like, what a sculpture is. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it is a kind of a love letter and also a cautionary tale to postmodern art of of any medium, especially when you're getting into something as kind of surreal and avant-garde as a game like Kentucky Route Zero, like the kind of art styles you can tell that these people enjoy and appreciate. I I just re- I, I was just glad that I don't know there was something a little cathartic about seeing someone who was an artist. And I don't maybe Tharks not the right word, but like was an artist and like made it as an artist, but now is, you know, relegated to this life of corporate mediocrity just to fill in the gaps to retirement or whatever. It, it's it I guess like the the realism of it the the groundedness of it against the backdrop of all of this very fantastic world that they built you know that i really that was what i appreciated about it yeah one thing i also want to point out is that i believe it's at the end of act one there is a small cave-in in the mine and conway gets his leg crushed yeah so until you can see a doctor conway walks with a limp and when oh, I say walks, I mean he walks. He he limps. And I just, it struck me that just this time of like, what a brilliant game mechanic to force you to slow down and take in the art or the environment, you know, the, the choices you're making, things like that to like really like, oh, well, I can't just zip through this. I really need to like put some weight behind your decisions, not just arbitrarily like click yeah. through you know because I mean? it takes you forever to get there so like you want to make sure that you're yeah you're sure this is the thing you want to be doing mm-hmm. i'm sure i want to keep running around in this stupid bureaucratic <laughs> circle they have me going in because it's a little funny I, I also do love that in act two conway gets to breathe as a character a little more you, you kind of see shades of who he is as a person at the end of act one or in like a little bit in the middle of act one during the exploration of the mines during act two he and shannon talk a lot more because there's just a lot more in between time and this this was the point for me that he opened a, up a lot about his previous boss and like what the antique shop means to him, and it's just like oh yeah this is the this is the last one I just I got to do it, yeah. and I liked that because in Act One Conway felt like it felt like they were doing a lot of groundwork to just get you to connect to Conway because yeah. he's like just a guy that wants to achieve a goal. He's like. Uh, I got. I need to get to the zero. To get to the zero, you got to help this guy with a gas station. And then he's just like, you're kind of putting yourself into the head of Conway. Um, I, I do want to point out that there's like a million different things you can do in Act 1 that I just simply didn't even know you could do that yeah. would let you see Conway more. Yeah, I didn't. Like, there's like a ship crashing Yep. <laughs> that you can go to the accident. There's a lot of stuff that you could do that, you, that I simply did not see because I kind of just did what the game was telling me to do yeah yeah and that's okay <laughs> just and that, a, yeah 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 it's a valid way to experience it <laughs> i was i was the exact same way that's yeah. that's what i mean i'm sure that yeah. like if i replayed act one and did all the little clickable guys on the map sure surely there's more there's more space Things. for conway but yeah. for me i really got to feel him as a character that is not just a vessel for my choices yeah. in act two yes yes and it was it was against a really cool backdrop thankfully it was a it was with the more kind of mystical fanciful kind of kind of part of the game so eventually you get to the storage unit and for me the most powerful act 
part of Act Two is the church homily, like listening to the church homily. You know, I for most of my playthrough, I really picked Conway's dialogue options because I wanted to kind of experience the characters in the world as you know the developers built them rather than just like trying to direct myself to the goal and but that was the first time I was like I actually just want to listen to the homily I'm interested in hearing what these developers think a religious person should be and I was holy shit I was not let down (laughs) that homily is one of the most like I wish I could hear a, a, a preacher talk like that in real life. Yeah, right. Because that, to me, that's the kind of things I think that religious leaders should be imparting upon their flocks is that, hey, you're powerful. You're powerful people. You have a right to work in a way that empowers you as a worker and not the people above you, you know? Well, I, I, I don't want to derail us too much, but there is a lot about specifically we live in the U.S. modern Christianity where like a lot of the church is kind of I don't want to make too many broad whatever statements, but after spending a lot of time in large churches and spending a lot of time in a very small church now. A lot of big churches only go is, goal is to make money through brain, brainwashing people into getting people to come in and give them money. Like that's that's what the church is there for. One hundred is to accumulate wealth. One hundred percent. Like the actual engagement with the religious text and paying attention to what it says is tertiary. Yeah, an afterthought. Yeah, not yeah. even secondary. Yeah, but I I think it when you get to that kind of homily, it get it it puts you in that space of this is the kind of community that you're dealing with in this environment. This is, this is a problem. Like you can tell based on the language, like, Hey, you guys should really, you know, like the word union, like maybe wasn't quite prevalent, but it was prescient, you know? Yeah. yeah. Cause this, we're talking like, I believe if I remember correctly, like late 19th, early 20th century, somewhere around that, somewhere time. around that time, like early 1900s. But yeah, I, I just I love the fact that they 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 speak on that, and I love the fact that they use religion as not as a prop, but more as like a, a tool, like a, like a, a tool, fra- a, frame. A, a tool, a framework. Yeah, yeah, especially paying homage to those rural communities that relied so heavily on religious guidance because of the abject poverty they were in. They didn't have much else, you know. I do think that it is a like a fantastic little flourish of the writing that all of this uh powerful sort of stuff exists in game in a storage unit which is where like keeping in line with what i believe to be like the main sort of theming of the game is a place where kind of the past goes the excess the things to be forgotten the things that um don't affect kind of everyday present life you know the a lot of like what i know about storage spaces and it's like you inherit a lot of things from your grandpa or whatever and you don't want to throw them away because you know they're important so you just you know get like a cheap storage unit and throw them all in there and then they get forgotten yep well i mean i love that the you know you kind of walk up and the janitor's like yep church is about start 
they don't have a pianist anymore. They don't have a preacher anymore, and they don't have a parish anymore. But it's time for church. So I'm going to do gonna, it. I'm going to play the tape. I'm, I'm keeping the lights on. <laughs> and you even ask him. It's like, uh, like that's funny. Like you still do this, and he says like. Just feels like something that needs to get done. Yeah. And I'm like, what a perfect answer. It's just yeah. just felt like something that I needed to do. And I just love that, you know, like the 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 small act of a routine, like if that's the only thing that like that could be the only thing that makes that guy feel human anymore. Is like this one little thing, you know, and I, I just love that, like you said, like this stuff to, that's oft forgotten or put away, not necessarily thrown away, but off your hands and you have a person here like the living air quotes living embodiment of that of just someone else maybe also forgotten so eventually you end up back at the bureau you are given directions to a, a doctor who can help conway with his leg and you find yourself at another museum not related to the the first museum you can find. And I, God, I, there, there are uh, a lot I of, I want to hear thoughts. I want to hear lot, thoughts on this. There are a lot so of special moments in this game. There's so much going on here. When, in this. when I walked into that museum and I was like, and I got to the roof. Oh, with the, it uh, was the with the neighborhood. Thing. Yeah. And I was like, this is so fantastic, but, I'm walking through this neighborhood where I'm a stranger and these people can see that I'm clearly injured and no one will help me because <laughs> I am, I am unknown to them. Well, so it's funny, right? Like there's lots of ways to think about this museum because like if you walk up, some people will talk to you, but it's also like, you know, I think one way to think about the museum is like a modern housing development, right? Yep. Yeah, Where, <laughs> you know, cookie cutter houses and, and row houses. Yeah. 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 And shanties like, you know, you're walking in and you're a stranger and most of the people aren't going to want to engage with you. Uh, Cause they're just there living in there. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, I will point out that the ones that do, have a story to tell and they will communicate with you because they want that story to be known about how they wound up there or how they were treated. You know, there was somebody telling you something, you know, like anyone who would engage with you had something important to share. Do I remember correctly that the museum is a bureau project? I believe that's correct. I think I read that at some point. It's, and I was like, Oh, they just like, put up a bunch of houses you know they successfully reclaimed it they reclaimed like, it and then they built houses on top of the museum they made houses in the way that only government bureaucracy can right bad badly yeah <laughs> <clears throat> or at least like the way that we know it to be and then you go to the woods and then you to go the to the woods and you have this really awesome little scene where you're walking through the trees and oh, everything kind man. of blurs in and out you mean oh. julian yeah Julian, the Julian, giant eagle, the Julian flight. That's just that's uh, his, that's his song, friend. I didn't write it down. I usually write down the song, but yeah, there's a great song that plays again. It fucking rules. Uh, that one is, I think that one is Long Journey Home. Yeah, because that that one's right after Julian. Yeah, Long Journey Home. Yeah, you you will. This is also where you get Ezra attached to you. Yep. Yeah, Ezra joins the party. Acquire, I, I love that this this whole game is just you acquire people. 
Yeah, your party just grows. <laughs> but you really only play as like two or three. You different. only play, yeah. Yeah. Mostly yeah. Conway and Shannon. But yeah, you get Conway, Shannon, Ezra. Sometimes Ezra, yeah. sometimes Junebug, yeah. sometimes Johnny. I, and I love, is. like, even in mid-conversation sometimes with the yeah. dialogue choices, like, you're just like, love that. I want Shannon to say this now. Yeah. yeah. Which is cool. So you finally get to the zero. And you get, yeah, you would, and you get stabbed with some drugs, and that's oh, the end yeah. of Act 2. That's the end of Act yeah. 2, yeah. That, I, that was some of the so coolest. When you get your leg repaired, it's the power company, right? So the... The power company owns the drug that you, is administered yeah. to you. Well, well, they they own everything, right? Well, they own everything. They yeah. own, they own everything. But they, but specific, <laughs> but they do own they. The doctor is practicing for the power company, and the drug that he administers to you is also owned by, by the, power, the company. power company. And he even he even points out that it's trademarked. Oh, he, in the yeah, conversation, like in the dialogue, it says, says TM. Next he says to it. Norhypnol TM. Yeah. I, well, I won't. Oh, fuck it, let's get into it. All right, so we got to hold on. We got to talk about the previous interlude, the play. We're gonna, we'll, yeah, yeah, we're gonna talk about. Oh, that. the entertainment. Yeah. yeah, because then it ties into what happens once you receive medicine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sure. So the interlude that happens between Act Two and Act Three is called the entertainment, and is basically just you sitting and watching a mid-tier college production of a play that they're doing immersively like at a, as if it were actually at a bar but all these characters are actually real characters that exist in the realm of Kentucky Route Zero you just don't know that until much later <laughs> and <laughs> some point. and like so like the person who wrote the play is Carrington right yes yes the person who wrote the play is Carrington and then the three, like the art lady and the college, the other college dudes had something to do with the play, right? Yes. The bartender's just the bartender. Yeah, but uh, like I'm pretty sure Lula Lula did the stage design is what I mean. I oh, oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, that, yes. Yeah. that is correct. Yeah. I, I wanted to. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> and also the way you experience this play as. You're is, one of the actors. You are one of the actors, but your acting is literally just sitting there. Like the whole point of your play is that you are sitting there doing nothing but eating a brick sandwich. <laughs> I love the brick sandwich, <laughs> brick by the way. Sandwich. <laughs> the brick sandwich because they cared so little, or she was trying to say something with the brick. It's one, so of good. <clears throat> one of those two. I this the uh, the entertainment felt a lot to me like the author kind of bearing their soul and like trying to show you their fears because there's a lot of commentary you can find if you like turn away from where the stage is and look into like the audience or like other performer section you get this scrolling text of a review of it and it's like well it was very high concept and i can see what they were going for but it fell flat and I didn't get it, and they didn't really execute it very well. And they mashed together two plays that they said like worked well together, but, but it didn't. It didn't. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm turning around to behind the camera, and there's the director, and they, like all all of his fears are spilling out. And I was like, that's that's like a really like a very intimate way that I've never experienced to like understand like very directly something that seemed to me like a message from the writer. Like very, like very personal, 
And then at the end, a giant glowing skeleton <laughs> you comes. You get jump scared. <laughs> you get jump scared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, the skeleton has arrived. He's arrived to collect your debt. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is really funny. Ha ha ha. Silly skeleton debt guy. Not. All right, on to act three, I guess. <laughs> and, then, and then in act three, Conway gets his leg repaired, and the doctor's like, yeah, you're in debt now. And his leg turns into glowing skeleton glowing leg. Skeleton you're leg. like, oh, no. Conway, don't. So let's let's talk about let's talk about the concept of the skeletons a little bit here, just because this is the first time we experience it. So Mason, you talked to me, and obviously, I think you are correct in that you you're of the opinion that the skeletons are meant to represent like people that are skeletons represent debt. Yeah, debt. People who are like indebted for like an amount that's just the rest of their life you're like you're, you're, you're gonna you're gonna clock out for lunch on the day you die i think it's also people. i also think it's important to recognize that there is a second thing that it is representing which is addiction okay so uh because all of the debt is directly re- directly tied to addictive tendencies like yeah alcohol all gambling and yeah i think to me the the drug that is administered gave me very, very strong feelings that it was meant to be a replacement for Oxy. Yeah. yeah. Oxy. An opioid. Yeah. Like a, an yeah. opioid. Yeah. Which, again, is a prevalent issue in the Midwest in small in communities. Rural communi- rural and communities. is yeah. something that is generally controlled by big, big corporate companies. Yep. entities that have unilateral control over it. And that... I think, and I think it's important to recognize that it's supposed to be both of those things together, because these people would not be in this debt were it not for these addictive vices that they, that are afforded to them. You know, I've never, I, I didn't even think about about that reading of it, and I, I like it a lot. I like that idea of it a lot. And I, I do want to bring up the point that the climax of the entertainment is a young woman who became successful confronting her parents over their debt. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they drink so much. It's like, I, you know, when, when we're thinking about like the skeletons in the debt and addiction and all of that in this game, I think one of the points is, I think this is something that everyone who's like a normal person is going to experience at some point. Right. Um, and like lots of people deal with those things very differently and some people can't properly deal with it not to get too far ahead of us here but you know it's you have lots of you know there's debt and also processing relationships and grief and i think that becomes a lot more prevalent in act three that that's what this is about hey it's me stopping in at the end of hour one of this episode to make sure that you're hydrated seated doing well prepared for the second hour of the episode if you're enjoying like share subscribe rate us five stars all that good social media stuff and you know send us along any good messages about what you enjoyed about the episode anyway i'll throw you back
at this point, you're kind of hitting a trope of everyone you're running into is just kind of stuck working forever in some way or another, right? Except, except for like literally Ezra, who is because going through child. a much worse thing. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, yeah. If you think about it, Ezra's situation is far, far, far darker. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I, it's hard to find art that engages with the, in air quotes, like futility of existence. Yeah in the way that this game does, especially like in this act where, you know, everyone is just kind of screwed at some level, the bar owner, Johnny Junebug, like maybe the person who's in the best situation is like Shannon. Yeah. Who is like, she just fixes TVs and is relatively stable. So like, like, and is happy happy doing that too. But, but even, even with Shannon, like the, the technology that she is the best with is is slowly disappearing, right? An- there's analog, a, analog technology. Yeah. There's a TV station full of it, but it gets destroyed. I will say, and this is just a, we're going to take a, a quick stop at the scenic, at the scenic outlet here. Act three is when my frustrations with the dialogue in this game really came to an absolute boil <laughs> in the hall of the mountain King. I can, I can, oh, understand yeah, that yeah, I took a note I took a note specifically of the line that made me want to scream. I think I actually did scream. This is a one line where you, okay, you're asking a question to a guy about a big fire. Okay. What, what's burning on that fire? Mysterium tremendous. It sends the shadow scattering momentarily lights the mouth of unseen tunnels. That fire is constantly reshaping my ellipses. Close your eyes. Will you close your eyes for me? And then you get to choose your next. What? That's so, so, so frustrating. So, yes, yes, it is. That's the point, is everyone that is trapped within the Hall of the Mountain King, and I don't, I, I, I should have, like, actually, like, read the background of the Hall of the Mountain King, like, the actual work itself to understand this better. But the whole thing about the Hall of the Mountain King to me and of Xanadu to me is that it is about the drive for perfection, the drive for completing something that you have worked for your entire life and how it has driven you absolutely completely insane because it is just simply not obtainable. And all these other people have gotten roped in all these, you know, college interns or whatever have gotten roped into this scenario and have just slowly and slowly gotten driven more and more insane and i did it to myself literally i played xanadu played the xanadu i got to get the oh my god i can get it perfect i'm literally inches away every (laughs) single time every every single time and i was like eventually i was like okay i can't do it it's not you put you put two people on the 100 bar and you're like that's enough to keep it at 100 and then you get the all four people on the other bar to get it to 100 and then your 100 is dropped to 97 and then you're like like, what what but but i think that's the point is like these people have literally just lost their minds and yeah it's an exercise in tedium and it i think that the fact that you got frustrated by it is actually a good thing because it means you were experiencing the correct emotions to be gotten out of that all right well if it was if that type of frustration was contained 
to the Hall of the Mountain King in Xanadu, <laughs> I would be like, oh, okay, I get it. That was that was happening the whole fucking game. Yeah. Where I, you're like, hi, Philip, where's Five Dogwood Drive? Oh, you'll need to go to the Zero. I used to know a girl named Marquez who knew about ways how that goes. Mason, and, you've grown up in the South. You know how people talk. I know. I don't I, like talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, just, I, I will point this out. Uh, Act three also contains uh, one of the moments that I have never sobbed harder over a piece of media. Oh, at the in the song in the bar, the lower depths. Yeah. Too late to love you. Okay, Christ. Can I can I tell you a little story about the song? Yes. Before we, before we come to a stop, please. So this game came out in like 2014. This was around the same time that I lost my father. He died of complications from cancer and kidney failure. Anyway, I'm playing through this game. And as I'm playing through this game, I'm also getting information from my father's best friend about a bunch of stuff his past life I didn't know about. One of the things he tells me is, you know, your dad, uh, my mom and dad split when I was two. That's important. He was like, you know, your dad, you know, always carried a torch for your mom. I don't think he ever really got over her. I was like, really? He, He was like, yeah, even at the end, like he and I had a couple conversations and like, yeah, he always loved her. And then I played this scene where there is an entire song about that, basically entire concept, and I lose it. I absolutely lose it. It's one of the most cathartic moments I've ever had, but this video game just brought that out in me, and I was like, that's that's when I, I was like, this is the best game I've ever played. Yeah. And I hadn't even finished it at that point. And I can't believe they recorded all those versions of the song so that the player could actually, actually just choose, choose how the, the song goes. Yeah. That that's would, that's Again, shout out to Ben Babbitt. Because that is Ben Babbitt doing the lyric as Junebug. He just does it like he does like voice pitch and distortion. Yeah, so good. It's so good. That that was like that kind of that scene with Junebug performing was is like magical. I'm so glad it like captured something very real for you. I know it, you know helps me know that the the author was like onto something that was very real, very human very like that could make like a real connection to people is like so good. So since we've been introduced to Junebug and Johnny, I'm going to, I just want to read off the three bullet points on my discovery of to what those characters are meant to like a, a portion of those characters, what they're meant to represent. So the first note I took was Junebug and Johnny sound like robots. They do. They, they, they walk sure around. I, like, didn't, I didn't really know what that meant or why they sounded like robots. I was just like, I need to note down that they sound like robots. The second thing I wrote down was Junebug and Jonathan describe themselves as robots. Therefore, that is how Conway perceives them. So he is just like, it's not like a hallucination, but like it's the game embellishing on how Conway perceives these people, right? Because... You know, they talk about being like shadows down from the mines and like they were nothing. And then they had to like build themselves up into being something. And that by they're really like the the concrete definition of I think therefore I am where they're like, I have to like piece together an identity for myself to stay whole. And it wasn't until later and when I made my third bullet point, which is Johnny and Junebug polyamory slash gender expression and exploration that is that's why that's why they're 
Now, obviously, I don't want to make this sound like I'm saying people that are gender exploratory are like robots, but to an old man who doesn't understand these concepts, the idea of being something where you can kind of like switch out the pieces might be like a a visual representation of you know teenagers or young adults that are experimenting with their gender identity and i was like wow (laughs) i don't know if that's what the intent of the developers of this game was but you know i whereas i think johnny's a little more grounded in his identities Junebug is a lot more ethereal, you know, with the person that they are. And I think it's really, if, if that was the, even if it's not the intent, I think it's a really interesting way to explore that space in a way that doesn't come off as, you know, put punching down or even pretentious. It's just a really interesting, unique take on gender explanation, gender exploration. Uh, I will I will point out that I, I did notice that Johnny uh, always refers to Junebug as ma'am. Yeah. Yes. He always calls her ma'am, and she always calls him Cricket. Yeah. Yes. Which, for a pet name, I think Cricket is <laughs> it's a really darling good. pet name. It's I'm a good like, pet name. Now I kind of want to yeah. tell Aaron to call me that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the reason I wrote down polyamory is because that conversation they had about adding a third. Yes. I Which, like, in, obviously, they're not really talking about a as a relationship, yeah, they're talking about thing. a dog, but but they use some like very well, more mean, Ezra. language. You can also do Ezra. Yeah, that's they could also be talking about a kid, Mason. Yeah. Oh, they could. Yeah. I <laughs> I remembered. Yeah. I remembered that. I thought they were specifically talking about an animal. I thought it was mm, when they're talking. Johnny about... Johnny wants a kid. Yes. Okay. Johnny wants a kid. I might I might have misread a scene maybe a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Well, no, you're right. The thing, right, is there's a lot of interpretations. <laughs> yeah, uh, I my interpretation is very strongly that Johnny wants a kid. No, because if there's an <laughs> if there's ever a scene where Johnny and Ezra interact, Johnny is always the first one to talk to Ezra. Like Johnny okay. right. loves Ezra. That makes a lot of sense. That does make a lot of sense. Anyways, I thought that was really cool. I didn't know if that no, was no. That's intense, a great no. But, that's a very I uh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Fuck yeah! I thought that was awesome. There's one thing I want to note before we talk about the Hard Times Distillery, which is when Shannon and Conway get back from the inside of the church before you even know what's going on. Conway doesn't have the skeleton arm, isn't that? But he does have it when he leaves after you, the player, go through the distillery, if I'm remembering correctly. Do, yes. Does Does anyone accept Conway ever acknowledge that those people are skeletons? That could be another thing I, where it's his lens of the world. I think it is. That well that that's what I'm getting at here is the fact that Conway's arm doesn't change when he goes out when you're playing as Ezra, right. but it does when you're playing as Conway and leave into the exact same scene that you go back to Xanadu. Yeah. It's not until you can experience the game through Conway's lens again that the perspective changes on that. Yeah. I I did notice some places where Conway would address skeletons and then Shannon would be like, who are you talking to? I never noticed Shannon be like, holy shit, it's a skeleton. So I was, that was like something I was thinking about was like, oh, if, you know, 
if no one else ever acknowledges diegetically that they're skeletons, it might be, yeah, it might be that they're not. And Conway just like associates that, that lifestyle with like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to die here. I'm going to drown in debt until I die. What what was the three, four interlude? Yeah, that's the one where you actually, they just give you a phone to dial the number with. That's if, right. If you haven't done it already, when you find when it you on find the back it, of the brochure. I did. Because I did. <laughs> I did. I found the brochure and I dialed the number and I was like, wait a minute, that's not a 555. Haley, we uh, got to do something real yeah, quick. Yeah, anytime <laughs> I see a number that's not 555, I have to try it. Yeah, and it, now, it it's a Kentucky area code too. So that was the another really cool here's part. here's the wild thing. They did this weird ARG in between Acts 3 and 4, I remember, where they were auctioning off these old, they claimed were haunted telephones like you can speak to ghosts <laughs> and they actually put them up uh they had like a uh it was an it was like an arg through their website where they had like a fake shop at home kind of channel where it was like and they had like the phone on a little display thing you could actually buy the phone and all the phones sold for like hundreds of dollars you know but that was like a fun little thing like to hype it up and i also want to shout out the narrator for here and there along the echo bonnie prince billy who is an amazing songwriter and actor. He does a phenomenal job with this. Just phenomenal. This was where I figured out, I, because the whole time I was playing this game, I was trying to figure out what it reminded me of. And I told y'all in the podcast chat, and I'm like, what does this feel like? And, you know, I don't want to sell it short if people who don't like this podcast see this comparison as bad. But, this game feels a lot like Welcome to Night Vale. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like some people really like and some people really dislike Welcome to Night Vale. But I feel like if you're struggling, like if you want to get a friend to play this game, I feel like saying it's got like a Welcome to Night Vale vibe. Might either assuage them yeah. or dissuade them yeah. to play it. <laughs> but no, it's, I, can, I can see. Yeah, that's very accurate, I think. I only I don't have like a very deep understanding of Welcome to Night Vale. I have heard a few episodes and I'm like, oh yeah, it's this like story with fantastical elements about people trying to trying to lead normal lives. Yeah. You know? so, well, well, it's kind of like a horror podcast, but the horror is not like the focus. The yeah. fact that there's a dragon is the mayor. <laughs> Before we get too deep into this interlude, which I don't think we'll really get too deep on does anyone have anything they want to talk about about the hard times distillery? Cause that uh, scene, there's a lot that happens. The, yes. the boxes yes. are coffins. The boxes are yes. coffins. Boxes <laughs> they just had a delivery driver die and they won't tell you why. Yeah. But, and, but like they, very are, clear they sure was, are keen to replace him real quick. Yeah. It's very clear. He was drunk driving and died, but it's like, Oh, he had an accident. You know, these, his ways caught up with him. These things happen. These, these things, things happen. happen. It's yeah. like, okay. I, 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 I particularly love that when you're Ezra going through the graveyard, you read the gravestones and it's like, you know, a date and it's like fruit, fruity and upbeat. And you're like, what? And you go to the next one and it's like tastes of pine and, you know, herbs. And you're like, are they eating? Right. Are they yeah. taking one, people up and eating them? What is happening? That that part has always confused me because there's one where you come that you come across that says a sense of foreboding. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's the that's the flavor profile. <laughs> and then and then you go down into the distillery and they're and they're like, yeah, we uh, we before we built the climate control thing, we had to 
put the coffins we put the coffins in the cemetery to cool off the the booze and that's how we did and you're like oh <laughs> okay that's much less bad than cannibalism yeah can I, right can Still i talk great. can no. i talk at length no. about the distillery this is where the game became real to me yeah like this is where the game became very very real to me that scene where you can just reflect on all the shit yeah. as conway yes and it's it's just like you know i've I'm going to say this with the context of the rest of the game that we haven't kind of dived into yet, dove into yet, but like I am someone who alcoholism has touched my life. If you, I mean, I'm sure I've joked about it with all three of you, but I'm not going to go into it very deeply to internet strangers, <laughs> but like I've, I've heard someone describe alcoholism or any other kind of addictive personality to me as like, it's something you don't cure. You just hopefully have longer periods of time before the relapses and like understanding you know the significance of conway getting the first drink and then it just kind of signs his death warrant you know it starts him on this like horrible spiral where he leaves the life of everyone around him to go try and make amends for himself is it's like such a huge scene because it's like you know the skeleton is like here have one of our top shelf liquors it's it's a cause for celebration and then you have it and it feels like you know i didn't press the button but after a while with it in his hand conway will will drink it yeah. yeah yeah he just drinks it on his own but don't it, you feel disgusting looking at that button that just says drink and you're just like i don't oh, I, I was like i don't, I'm just I don't sit here I am just going to see no, her. I'm Conway, not pushing that button. Conway can't resist. He's an alcoholic. And it's like... Well, that's the thing that addicts say, right? It's like one, once you're an addict, you're always an addict. Yes. You're just in recovery. Right? Yes. Yeah. And it's just... It's like seeing all those people that he knew ahead of time, right? If If we assume that him viewing people as skeletons is like viewing them as condemned to their vice to li- to have to live with it until they die... Like knowing the whole time he's taking the distillery tour and checking out the bus and, you know, he describes the radio to you and stuff. And then you get back and he's powerless to stop it. That's when the, in like knowing that like, this is like my main character, my protagonist, the guy I want to see win. And it's just like, no, this is the tragic hero. This is the guy that is of everyone who is trying to get away from the past of everyone who's trying to move on, he's going to be the one that fails. Like that's, that was such a a hurtful, Mm -hmm. but like very real thing to me. Yeah. I, I throughout act three and act four, I felt the pain that I think Shannon did as you progress. (laughs) Like, Yeah, through that as he like, gets worse and worse, he gets yeah. worse and worse. Yeah, yeah. like watching. I, it <laughs> yeah. So Act Four opens on at the end of Act Three. You, you know, you've run through the computer. You've figured out exactly finally how to get to Five Dogwood Drive, and Lula puts you on a boat that will basically get you the rest of the way there. And so Act Four opens on. You getting on? You have gotten on this boat, and now you are just traveling down. And I, you know, I think it's the very base level reading, but the river sticks. Yeah. You know, I just don't think there's any like other way around it that that is what this is supposed to be. 
because they're all the characters say if you drink the water it makes you forget yeah and that yeah i was like okay well, and and so many people are stuck yeah 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 everyone and, and just about everyone you run into in act four is like yeah i got stuck here doing this or like you someone know? who is not they're not dead they're i mean they're like live characters kind of but like part of something that is dead or failed Yes. Right. Yes. You meet the bat sanctuary and it's like the efforts have gone so badly that they're feeding them artificial bugs to keep and them alive, catching yeah. the real bugs and making them go away or the telephone operator. And it's like, yeah, I'm the only one left. I get a handful of calls and I don't even think they're going to automate me. I think it's just cheaper to keep me here till yeah. I retire. That's that scene. Is... That scene was a gut punch. Man, I and just looking at this, I mean, I don't even think this game was really made as much with like AI stuff in mind. I mean, I I, I assume it was I, pre I, any of that stuff yeah, really blowing up. Um, and it's like you know, I I am a computer engineer by trade. I don't know what any of these people who say they're going to successfully replace people with art like replace people doing anything kind of like creative or even most normal endeavors with AI. I don't know what these people are talking about. Like it's not, (laughs) this podcast is not like the platform to do that, but it's just like, if you understand what AI is and is capable of, it's not going to do any of those things you're saying it is. If we don't let them do it. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, this is like sort of an imagining of a more grim future of that, right? This is sort of a, like a contemplating on like how, you know, how bad could it get? Honestly, I think this is like clairvoyant and this is more, the more likely reality of what's going to happen. Yeah. Is people are going (laughs) to, you know, do torturous labor because it's cheaper than... (laughs) They're gonna need. They're gonna need one guy there to grease the wheels. Yeah, and he's gonna do twelve people's worth of work. Yeah, exactly, and not get paid twelve people's worth no, of salary. But that yeah. guy's lucky because he's got a job. Yeah, yeah. He'll be. He'll. Cons- Some people will call him the lucky one, but he's just as trapped as mm. the eleven other unemployed schmucks. <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> true. Act so four. True, King. So true. Act four to me was the, the best one. As if if I had to like pick one act that was my favorite, I think it would be Act Four, just because of how the journey. I I wrote in my notes that uh, they they do a really good job of distancing the player and Conway in Act Four. There's yeah. like a very intentional effort to, you know, you don't you don't play Conway in any of the any of the situations that you end up in. He doesn't really like follow you around for the most part. He doesn't even really like say a whole lot anymore to the, you know anyone. You know, most yeah. of the dialogue he has he, is at the rum, the it, place it, where he gets his, to drink. It, it, the, the things that you see of him in Act Four are him drinking and yeah. being yeah. like, "Yeah, I love drinking." Finding a yeah. drink. Yeah. And I, think, <laughs> I, I love how I am when I drink. And I think that works narratively on two levels. One, it is separating you from him, like you said, but also it is losing him yeah. to that vice. It's like he's not around because he is so preoccupied with well, doing and that. And here was the other interesting thing to me is like Conway, and I, I, I liked this choice, but it's like Conway becomes in some aspects a better person when he's drunk. Yeah, yeah. He's not 
He's not depressed. He's not thinking about his past or all the things he's done. He's not hung up on all this stuff. He's cheerful. He's, yeah, he's he a gives little more people bubbly. good. He gives, he gives people good, good advice. advice. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, I hate that this is the the best <laughs> selfie has. Yeah, right. I hate that this is the best Conway we get. Is well, him yeah. having given into his vices? Have you ever have you ever seen someone in recovery from an alcoholic like Bender? Have you ever witnessed that? Do you not, know what people are like? Not like in real life. They're usually more fun when they're drinking. Yeah. But it's not but it, the thing for me is it's not even like that he's more fun. It's that he's like a whole a more person. like a more yeah. real like yeah. <laughs> a more fleshed he's, out person. Well, he's got he's, all the he's not flat. He's yeah. I, I he drinks to escape the thoughts of Charlie. Lizette and Charlie. Lizette and Charlie. Yeah. The people he's failed. Yeah. The people he's killed. Yeah. And yeah. and just he th- like he thinks he's killed. Just like someone who just like someone who struggles with an addiction of something that will kill you, um, you turn you stop looking for one minute and they've left your life. You don't get to say goodbye. That's yeah. a great point. Absolutely. What and you know what I love about that is he doesn't even he he's it's not even like, oh, his skeleton's on the boat of skeletons now. It's just nope. He's just gone. He's he's gone. The like most people I don't even know about most people, like a lot of people will not know what it's like. Um I think the closest that you can capture the feeling is like if there's a celebrity or someone that has some sort of bond to you that they die very suddenly of uh, some kind of addiction. I know like Amy Winehouse or Juice World, or there's a lot of actors that have had problems. I mean, Chris with Farley. Chris Farley. Like that, that's like a small part of it, but like really like if you've had family or friend that has to live like this, like you know like you can't do it for them but you feel like you have to always be vigilant you're like oh god i i turn my back for one second and like that could be it i could never speak to them again yeah. it speaks to like a the the realization of a very real and very terrible fear and i really like the scene that happens directly after in the diner where you get just two very different explanations <laughs> about why that shit on the table was covered in epoxy and left oh there. my god the half-eaten squid <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and where the the woman's what? like yeah Amy. i left all that there so i could remember the things that i cooked that day where everything went right and then the husband's just like ah uh, yeah i remember that day when those boys came in and then i covered that table in epoxy so i could remember the stories they told and every time i have to be worried if they were just lying and one-upping the other and i'm gonna Take a wrong turn and then I'm dead. Yeah. And then that's the end of Samonitis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Act Four ends with just another absolute heater of a song, This World Is Not My Home. Yeah. 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 They they don't the, the soundtrack does not miss. It's there's it's no misses. Good all the way through. Um, I sorry, I want to touch on the Samonitis scene a little more. Oh yeah. Because I think I think it's important. That scene this is one of those scenes that I think that if you're not a theatrically minded, if you don't have the training of theater, you're just like, this scene doesn't mean anything. But to me, that scene was about perspective 
and why and personal perspective and it was an unraveling to me of that to me was what told me that up until this point the things that we were seeing were from Conway's point of view and now that he's gone we have to open ourselves up to other perspectives up to up to the other ways that these other characters are going to perceive the world because now those are the way those are the people who we are going to be understanding the lens of the story from from now on right so that that in a way is almost like you're describing like a hard stop of like hey Conway's story's over yeah this is this is our transition at the end of act four into act five yeah Yeah, to me Sam and Ida's is a you have you as a player have to move on from the story as you understood it and now have now understand the story as we're going to keep telling it because this wasn't Conway's story this is the story of this thing we're gonna show you in act five I also just kind of love how like without really having much real motivation other than you just have to keep going everybody just keeps moving conway stuff to get it where it needs to go yeah yeah, yeah. What yeah, else yeah. Gotta do? yeah. they've been on this journey for so long so far what? <laughs> and i think that's a conversation you have also near the end of act four where yeah you, as shannon you're like well we got to get this stuff moving and somebody asked you why and then I, you, it gives you several options to basically the same answer of i'm supposed to i'm supposed to this yeah. it, it's like it's like so the it's janitor his, it's, it's his like the janitor job. at the storage space it felt like that's something i was supposed to do that's a great connection to that yeah i hadn't even thought about that um what i liked about act four is that it taught me a little bit about what act five was about um because act four to me felt like the power company left this giant physical scar on the earth that all these people filled up with culture and lifestyle and like just trying to live a normal life and it happens again in act five act five is about this physical scar on the earth that the power company left and Fitting with what I see to be the theme of the game, you see all these things that need to be, or not need to be, but will inevitably be left behind. The The power company had left this terrible ecological effect, and people tried to do bat conservation. They tried to create jobs, and now you have a guy whose desk is on the, his like very nice desk is on the bank of the river. And this tel- you know, this telephone switch operator, and you know they have bars and restaurants, and they have their little village where all the people's lives built up in this in this hole that the power company needed filled, and now it's just down there underground, and it's forgotten about. It's history. It's the past, and you, you know, in true Kentucky Route Zero fashion, I tried to visit that village. And the woman giving the theremin concert made me really upset with her stupid dialogue. (laughs) I was like, Ezra was like, did I do good? And she was like, "Mm, I don't understand the question, but I guess from a child's perspective, doing good to make good art. I was like, oh my God, shut (laughs) up. Play your stupid theremin. So eventually we get to act act four interlude is un pueblo de nada, which translates to the people of nothing. Town, town of nothing. nothing and it is you play as the producer of this podunk Local tv station. public access <laughs> television station during a horrendous rainstorm 
that eventually washes everything out in a way. My favorite thing in the game happens here, not my moment. My favorite thing to happen in the game happens here is when the, that random lonely dude just calls in to... Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Jeff. 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 Yeah. I love Jeff. He just talks about... <laughs> he only talks about old episodes, nothing specific. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, you know. <laughs> you hear me it just goes and goes and goes. You just keep clicking. It's so good. It's, it's great. That's a great moment in the game. My favorite thing happens in this interlude in the whole game, too, which is the introduction of Slow Mo Crow. Slow Mo Crow. My oh. beautiful boy. Your beautiful boy. He's wonderful. I love him. They I, the character like sees him, and you know they think he's like a cute little bird because it draws hearts. It draws right hearts. Yeah, oh little, and little explosion lines. Yeah, I love, yeah. I love, uh, I love the weather report. Where it's just oh. the person playing the theremin, and then a guy like painting? doing a painting. Yeah, <laughs> um. it's so good. And if it's you so... watch, so th- there is a YouTube video, like a thirty-minute YouTube video that goes along with this interlude. That is the actual show as you would see it on TV, and that that section is wild. <laughs> Everything also, in that tape's wild. Yeah, look, I'm telling you, if you've not Everything watched it, please, wild. please go watch it go and watch just it. watch Ron's fucking line read of Ron everything owns. on that tape was wild. It's it's we'll it's watch so it. We'll watch it after, good. but uh, it's, God, oh, it's so funny. This was such a fun little thing because it's like. And it needs to be because, good God, Act 5 is very it's depressing. Like, it's a like gut punch. But the, I don't know. I found Act 5 to be – we'll get to it in Act 5. But, like, this is like watching an apocalyptic event happen, yeah. watching a way of life fade, watching an archive of – it's like it's like watching the burning of the Library of Alexandria. They have they – have, this little public access TV station has a – almost complete archive of all of the videotapes ever made in this little town. Yeah. And it's like meticulously archived. They've got it in a corner where it won't be hit with sunlight. <laughs> and it's in the, it's in the most uh, dehumidified corner. And they, it's like the one thing they do is if you bring in a tape, they will archive it and they will play them sometimes. And then you watch it all get destroyed by the, the winds flood. of nature. Also, yep. Also, just while this, you know, while this is happening, you finally, we finally see Weaver again. And by see Weaver again, I mean, she is a weird entity who steals their signal the, sometimes. Shows up on the TV. It, it, turns the out, it was actually a greater cinematic universe because uh, Weaver is the ring girl. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, my only note I wrote down for Enfuebo Nada, the translation and then I just wrote Weaver equals ghost. And then yeah. underlined it. <laughs> yeah. no, this was my favorite interstitial. One, because you don't move. As the player, you rotate. The camera rotates around you. Now, the character you're playing, uh, Amy? Emily. Emily, thank you. She moves. Like You can guide her to different places. But otherwise, you are in a central fixed point, And the action just happens around you. And I think that's it's a much funner mechanic than it was in Act 4. Not only because or no i'm sorry between act three and four the entertainment entertainment. because the entertainment is just so sad but this one is actually you know like a little more it's a little more whimsical a little more whimsical yeah Yeah. which is because everybody is taking it in such stride like (laughs) even though there's this torrential storm you hear Uh everybody's just like oh you got a tape why don't you come on down (laughs) and then that that poor guest guest on the guest falls asleep (laughs) 
Oh, yeah, Ron falls asleep. In the is he okay? Yeah, he just falls asleep sometimes. That's just the thing that happened. Like, this woman clearly had no idea what she had been signed up for. And she's like, is this normal? And everybody's like, oh, yeah. You're staying at... Where are you staying? Think Ron's house. Ron's oh, loft? that's his barn. <laughs> Ron's a barn. Can, <laughs> Ron, a people can't sleep in your barn. Ron shrugs. That's all it says. Ron shrugs. <laughs> Fucking Ron. Like, Ron might be the best character in the game, honestly. It's so good. It's so good. And it's insane to think that you're watching the end of the world for these people. That some of them will die. You find their ghosts later. Some of them, this is their entire way of life disappearing. And it's like, no, I mean, it's yeah. filled with humor in all of the cracks. The the host, at one point, she says, like, she calls out the show number. Like, that's how they keep track. And she's like, 8962, I think, is the number. And she's like, wow, that many shows, really? I, I started when we were in the fives. Yeah. So she's done this every day for three, th- if you want to calculate how many Ten days. Years. Ten years. Ten years, yeah. So, uh, you know, like there is a lot at stake here, but everyone is just barreling through because it seemed like the thing they had to do. It's so, it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. I remember I messaged you during this part and I was like, I wish the entire game Game worked like this because the, the mechanic of just seeing the scene and you just rotate around and like do what, do what you want to do. That, that was fantastic. You can, I think one of the biggest things to note about this game is that you can really tell that the more game they made, the better they got at making a game. Yes, yes. And you really see the developers like cut their teeth on experimenting and trying new things and like yeah. allowing themselves to play more in the medium of being a video game. Well, uh, I, I had a unique look briefly. Uh, as they were working on Acts 4 and 5, they started a Patreon which I immediately like signed up for. And so you got a lot uh, through their Discord channel and on their private YouTube channel, like a lot of behind-the-scenes looks. And um, just the tedium of what goes into game programming. Like there's a lot of shots of him using like wire vector art to control the animation of Blue, the dog. And just, it's, a, it's like a time-lapse video and it's sped up. And then it shows the final process and it's like, the dog walks from one side of the screen to the other. And that took 45 minutes to an hour, you know? So you, like you understand the scope, even for like something, it, it's got like a vector art design. It's got like a bit of a, not bit pixel, but, um, I mean, like it's a, like, it's like vector art, like vector art, line, yeah. line, everything is just like lines. Yeah. No know? cell shading or anything like that, but it's beautiful. But you understand that even with an indie, like a simple indie game like this, just the amount of work, to, that it takes as a as a designer because these guys were writers and one guy was I think like an asset designer and then a musician. It was just these three guys. Yep. You know? Do you, do you think it contextualizes the way that they portray the artists in the game, the June Bugs and the Johnnies and the Lulas? I think it affected it. I think it impacted it for sure as they got deeper and deeper into the game, like you said, how they cut their teeth because this was their first game. I'm pretty sure they did like a couple of like free release like very small games but this was like their first major release and it was a home run you so in act five you play as a key your cat your key cat and you just run around and like listening to what all these people are doing and it turns out that five dogwood drive was never a real place pretty much it was just a concept it's a weird pentagon with no doors yeah. just a four solid a white structure. steps like, do you know, do you remember in Beetlejuice, like when they show the house after the eccentric couple moves in and then there's that patio that has like half a wall? Yes. That's what it looks like. <laughs> yes. 
I it's like of course yeah it's not even a house <laughs> of course and as so the first thing you discover is that there there are two horses that have died the neighbors they call them the neighbors more specifically it's the silver one and the other one which yeah. I love <laughs> no but they they address that don't they you know uh, yeah there's in the in the dialogue like. During the the funeral, the funeral, yeah. Someone says I, I I didn't name them, and I think I wish I had. Yeah, I wish I had. I said I said I didn't name them because they weren't ours to name. Yeah. That's exactly that's, what I that's, said. Yeah, that's what I. Another thing I find really cool about this is like you can choose the motivations of like why they had the fucked up names, and it's like they're all equally like that's not, the whole game know, though. Equally. They're right? all very poetic, right? The whole game is you you as a player get to reflect on. Either one, what you think the emotions of these characters would say, or like what these people would say, or whatever. And two, just like you as a person, like eventually, originally I had written down my notes saying this game is a little bit of a Rorschach test, and I took that out because I don't think it's quite accurate. There's bits and pieces of that in here, but there is a little bit of a personality test in the way that like you can choose how optimistic or pessimistic some of these characters are. You get to choose how, and it doesn't actually change the dialogue that much as far as how people talk back to you based on the choices you make, but it does greatly impact how you as a player envision the characters. And that to me is the game part of this, whatever we want to call it, interactive piece of media is the fact that like you get to shape the scope of how you, the player, are perceiving this world, even if it doesn't actually physically change anything about how things play yeah. out. Yeah, I, I, I remember early on during one of my first playthroughs, as someone who fancies himself an amateur writer himself, was the participatory or immersive element to the game of, oh, I have a stake in this because I get to decide how the story is told. Like, I get to choose the combination of words that sound the best to me. Or for whatever motivation I have as a player, I am immersed in it as a co-creator of sorts of the game. I get to drive how the game feels aesthetically. I get to make those choices. I love that. It's, it is wonderful. It is wonderfully done. And, like, from things that are as low stakes as, like, why those horses that died are named that way to, like, Who's gonna try it and rebuild the town? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas, like, there, there's such a wide berth of things that you get to have, you get to kind of push in in certain directions. Some people you don't, you know, with respect to staying in the town, some people are just are gonna leave. But so you can't do everything. But there are so many things that you can you can leave your own touch on. And like the town itself is interesting, right? Because like one big thing here. I think is you running into the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces person. Yeah. And being like, hey, like you can pick, like, you know, maybe you shouldn't reclaim this space yeah. yet or yeah. whatever. Please fuck off. Yeah. 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 Kindly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. You are a sellout. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like processing the whole thing, right? So, like, this place is very historical it's where like the people of the pueblo de nada came they had the horses and everybody was just like okay these horses are free and live here and you know that's why the neighbors are a thing the real it's real uh the tree that owns itself energy yeah yeah Yeah. oh yeah 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 yeah. for sure and you know like it's also like a native burial ground 
it, throughout this act, you see ghosts that are probably the natives. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, I it's, didn't. I didn't fully process the story of the seer. The shade. Yeah. I. And I don't think you're really supposed to because you only get bits and pieces of it. But to me, the shades is all the people that have died here before, but also the people that are still here and the pieces of them that they have left behind. Right. The thing. The pieces. Uh, the things that will be there forever as a result of these people having lived in this space. Part part of what gives this entire act a lot of weight to me is this sort of existential realization that you have that's like, oh, if this is how life is like in some bumfuck town in Kentucky that there's not even a road to, then of course this is what it's like everywhere. Every single place is built on hundreds of years of way of lives, cultures, businesses, people, important people that are gone, and the place still bears the scars of those people and carries the memories of those people in some way. And like, it's it's impressive even when it's like a little town of a hundred people with no roads going in. You know, that's like the the depth and the breadth of like the human, um, the, like the memory of, of what humans are and have been on the world is like it's like such a it captures that for me. Um, that's that's what I was thinking about the entire time. That's what it made me feel. The, the, the hard part about it was that you never really got the ability to feel comfortable in that space because of the bureau and you're just like i know there's this looming thing where capitalism is just going to walk in and figure out how to best use this space to generate revenue and then they'll call it a success i we haven't touched on this yet but i i think it was i really love the choice that the big company that is taking over everything is not some you know, it's not like a knockoff of some real life corporation. You know, it's not meant to be a knockoff of like Amazon or Walmart or whatever. It is a power company. And I love that choice specifically because of how, like, people don't think about it a lot, but there is a lot of power in utility companies that we, that isn't really existent yeah. in other vec- in we, sectors because we, give, we allow them to we be We give power companies monopolies. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We, like, it's so fucked up. Yeah, like, <laughs> right? oh, like, I guarantee all of all four of us are through Duke Energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's either <laughs> Duke no Energy choice. or no electricity. And, <laughs> like, <laughs> and they made and they made company towns. Who made company towns? And coal miners. Coal, yeah. coal mining companies. Coal mining companies. Duke, energy, yeah. Duke Energy has literally poisoned the power supply in multiple small towns in our state yeah Uh, yeah (laughs) literally poisoned our water poisoned our land it's crazy but also i think at the end of the game it is also about what death means what legacy what memory means of yes because because you see that furniture in that plot of five dogwood drive and everyone gathered around it there's music playing Conway lives on because that was his last delivery and it got completed. So even though we lose Conway to the distillery or alcoholism, whatever, you know, however you want to look whatever at it, is. like Shannon remembers him and Ezra will remember him. And when people talk about the furniture at that place, you know, it, it's about leaving your mark and how you want to be remembered on some level. And it's also, like you said, about scars. It's about monopolies. Yeah. There's just so much to unpack. Oh, the part that hit me about how, 
the game is about the scars that the power company left on the land is that the power company gave a half-hearted attempt to try and salvage it by sending one man to dig a ditch to yeah. save from a flood. Oh, and they yeah. hated the power company so much, they killed that guy. They killed the guy. They yeah. killed him. It's like uh, not only like everyone was in the wrong here, but it's only like the town was only in the wrong because they had experienced such a hurt and such a trauma at the hands of the power company. Like they took revenge the only way they could. Yeah. They dirtied their hands because they wanted That's they how. wanted to get back. That's how much they wanted revenge. Yeah, they that were is willing, how much it seeped into their bones. Yes, they want. They were willing to kill a guy who was just who was literally trying to help. Probably not going to succeed because no. apparently <laughs> the ditch was only two feet wide, and he didn't get halfway through it. But like, they killed some guy that had no power, was not the person who wronged them, just because he bore the name of the power company and they're like no get the fuck out of here like, I, I think that's just the the writer's way of telling you that is how much hate and rage they have over what the power company did to them yeah that they were willing to do something like that they were willing to go to those lengths as a sign of like do not fuck with us and know? like there's other people in the town you meet during these like small little windows where they're like you know there's like some random woman and she's just like i'm so sorry she's standing over the body bag of the 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 man that they killed is like I'm so sorry for what they did to you, but like this was the only way they saw. Like this shouldn't have happened to you, but th there was no, there was simply no way around it. So let's talk about the funeral. Great foreshadowing in the literal first scene of the game that the game is about a buried like buried horses. Yeah, <laughs> I so I think I, I think I figured, finally figured out why I, I cried so hard during the scene. I I didn't really cry at all throughout this game, even though, like in spite of everything, I fucking lost it when they started singing "I'm Going That Way." Ooh. I that's, that's I I tugs at the heartstrings. I could not hold it together, especially as and like all the and the shades, the shades in. like that. That was freaking me out. Ooh. I'm like, wait, what as is they happening? Kept walking up, and yeah. You're just like, <laughs> I and I I finally I think you know as as we've been talking, I've just been thinking about it, thinking about it. I was like, I gotta figure out what's why why this hurt me, hit me so hard, and it's because that scene to me was about the burying of the concept of real freedom the bear because like those horses were themselves they belonged to themselves no one took ownership over them they were just a part of this place you know they were a part of you know and this the this town stands as like a bastion as a commune of resilience against all these external things trying to force them to be a part of normal regular society for lack of a better term a choice that no one actually gets to make yeah yeah and <laughs> the burying of those horses is the recognition that they can't, this is not a way that people can live. This is, you know, you can go there for a while. You can be a sculptor. You can work as an a, a musician out on the road. You can build a town up in the middle of nowhere and try to have a nice little 
commune and take care of each other and have a public access TV station. But at the end of the day, you're fucking going to get dragged kicking and screaming back whether you like it or not. The storm will come. And the bills will come away. due. The antique shop will close. And I was like, God, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I think you nailed it, though, it's right? Like, oh, man. Because and, and it's it's like it's it wasn't I had to remember that it's not it, it wasn't just the horses dying and the horses getting buried. It's everything. Every every person in this game, you know, you know, Conway escaped it through alcoholism, but eventually he got dragged back. You know, he got back to sobriety. And that was the other thing. Right. Is like Conway. You know, there he is a more whole person when he's on when he is drinking, and that's not okay, right? But that was his escape from capitalism and the horrible things that happened to him as a result of living, having to live in a world where he had to work for all the time. You know, have living in a world where, as a result of him not laboring, a kid a kid died, and he has to live that for the rest of his life because the labor had to be done. You can't not build the roof on that house. I can't not fix the roof on that. <sighs> it's Man. brutal. It's, it's a, all futile. It's, a, it's all futile. Yeah. <laughs> Dust in the wind. But, it, but, but I think the important thing that this game tries to remind you is that, yeah, even if it, even if it's, you know, even if you're going to be a nihilist, you have to be there for the other people in your journey. Well, and I mean, it, it, it. it's also just like people find a way to keep going, right? Like, you know, it, it, the the game is ending here, but it, like it, 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 it doesn't feel like an end for like any of the characters, right? Like it, it depends on like how you did conversations and stuff, but like the way I see it, the way I had conversations, uh, you know, uh, Ezra's gonna be the drummer for Johnny and Junebug. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yep. No, that's what I did. Yep. Absolutely, he's gonna push the buttons really good. Yeah, I'm, I can put. I know all the buttons. And you know, like, I I think the the most devastating to me thing in this game, besides Conway going, because that goes before the end of the game, is just like the destroyed TV station. Like, it just feels so bad because this is a pain that I felt for a long time is people don't really get things that are their own thing anymore. Yeah. It, it It's like, you know, I've, I've had, you know, because like, I I work for a company right now, right? And I do like interesting difficult work doing what I do. But like ultimately it doesn't mean anything and it wasn't it doesn't matter that it's me that did it. Yeah. Right? It had like, to be done. The 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 company did it. Yeah. It is the company's success. It's not mine. Right? Like it's <laughs> and you know like and thinking about even things like YouTube or whatever is it's like you can't do YouTube forever. Yeah. It, it, like there are people, there are lots of big people retiring from YouTube right now. And like either you can't do it forever or you have to completely change what you're doing to keep up with what YouTube wants. Right. right? It, it's 
And then at that point, what's the point? And then furthermore, like zoomed out even further, what is art at that point? Are you making art or are you just making content? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I think you know, going back to TV station, in the interlude, the TV station is the whole world. In Act Five, yeah. the TV station is a fraction of the screen. You know. And I, I, I just I love that concept. Yeah. But I also think it's about ultimately like you're talking uh, we're talking about tenses right like past the future like i also think that as the game ends and everybody is together and you you have that longing sense of community yeah you know the like you know the the reclaim spaces is coming you know things are going to change ob- like objectively Object- based on the narrative yeah. for the worse but you still have this moment in time where everyone's together the sun is shining you're a cat you know, uh, like that's pretty cool. Life is good in that moment, and I do think it's about appreciating those small moments. Like you said, like we're dropped in this moment in time in this game, and the game doesn't end for those people that yeah. we meet in this game. It, I love life continues. I love the little scene between Johnny and the guy who owns the waffle shop. Oh, he's yeah. like, I want, I got to teach you how to make the waffle recipe because I'll be goddamned if I let one of those bureau motherfuckers eat a single <laughs> waffle. He's like, he's, yeah. No waffles for those guys. No waffles guys. for them, for the company, man. Hell no. Yeah. All right. So well, I think we've gone on long enough. One moment. Let's talk. Let's let's wrap it up. Let's bring things to a close with our one moments. I feel like we've explored everything enough that we won't have to embellish too much on why they were important to us. But I think it is important for a game like this for us to all speak on the one thing that will be with us. Uh Buck, why don't you start us off? Mushroom gathering scene. Mm. Yeah, so I forget. It, is it the theremin lady or the lady who pilots the ship? It is the lady who pilots the, the ship. Okay, that's Claire, Claire. Claire? I think it is, yeah. Uh, yeah. Clara? Clara. Clara, Rose. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Her dog. Ship pilot and Ezra go out and gather mushrooms. Like, so the ship pilot lady is really interesting because she... Yeah, we barely even talked about her, and she's yeah, awesome. Um, you know, she's the ship pilot. Midwife. A midwife. Oh, yeah, she's badass. Like, everything <laughs> she does is badass. She's a midwife because she miscarried. Yeah, because she, she miscarried. she doesn't want anyone to ever go through that again. And, and that, 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 that is why that's my moment, is, like, you gather these mushrooms, and, like, that scene as you go through that whole mushroom gathering scene, you kind of what you get, you get her life story effectively through that. And, you know, I don't want to talk too much because this podcast is very long, but that, that moment for me specifically is what's going to stick with me because it's just, it was very beautiful writing. That was also one of the only times you got both perspectives of both characters. Oh, yeah, the the two-perspective thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was also very cool. Uh, It was really cool. I liked that. Mm -hmm. Mason? Um, My one moment has to do with a very specific point in my life. During 2020, at the height of COVID, I lost my job in October, October, which means I lost my health insurance. And then in December, I got COVID. And that really hurt me in the course of this game. Because at one point, towards the end of Conway's life, he's like, I got to go to work at the distillery tomorrow. They said they figured out a way to roll my medical debt into my up debt. Into my debt. Them. And then you can make Shannon say, that doesn't sound like a great idea. And Conway is just like, this is like a whole big system. They've got it figured out. 
I'm just going to trust them to take care of it. And I was like, Oh my God, I remember being that, you know, just like my life or death is so entwined with this company I work for that if I, you know, when I got fired, it's like, I can't go see the doctor anymore. That has been taken from me. And it's like, yeah, he's just voluntarily, not voluntarily, but he's like wrapping himself himself up in that terrible thing of his own volition just because it's like the most convenient option. Like it's so much harder for him if he has to deal with these two debts separately that he's just going to concede to this like terrible fucked up thing. It made me think a lot about that, that time that I like I lost my job and then I got COVID, you know, it was like, yeah, because if you stop working, you don't get medicine. <laughs> my um, my one moment was going through the bat sanctuary. The stretch from when you see the monument to the workers who died. I had that whole thing where it's the writing is like, you know, this is for the people, you know, we never found their bodies. So we have to assume that they're buried here, that they were buried under the water and i swear to god if any of you power motherfuckers come back and try to take these things they're gonna beat the shit out of you all the way through the end of the bat cave because it's just like the explanation of what the bat cave is and what how all of it works and shannon having to reckon with the fact that this is like all an illusion put on the bats to keep them alive and like is that a life worth living and how that plays that plays a greater part in the narrative of the game. And I was like, this is a really like good summary of where we've been at for the game at this point. And I'm really glad that they kind of let you enjoy this very simple boat ride, uh, especially with the things that are about to happen. So John, uh, my moment, like I said, I played through this a few times before, and I've always had a focus on the sound and the music. But one thing that jumped out at me was in Act 5, at the end of the funeral, they they sing the song, I'm Going That Way. And then it's like an overhead shot. You're still the cat, but like you see the open grave with the horses in it, the crowds of people, the shades. The shades start disappearing one by one. And then the, the music fades out and stops. And then for just a couple minutes, if you choose to stay there, which I did, you just... There's no music, no ambient sound. You just hear the sloshing of footsteps because of the flood as people walk away from the funeral because what else are you supposed to do? You know, like it's kind of and just like just the levity of like and it, it, it like it sounds weird to say, but like they were even spaced out beautifully. Like if I can put it that way, like there's just enough of a beat where then the next person starts walking and you just hear those sploshing footsteps as they go by you and it's just they really let that moment sink in they everyone really departs. let that moment hit yeah everyone departs at their own pace they all and for even the people like the new the visitors that don't know anything about this place for you the person that uh, the player like yep. who only barely knows anything about this place like that's a very heavy like you don't know it personally but you understand you the weight it. and emotion behind this moment you know yeah. and i think that's the most immersive moment in the game for me i mean what what more what more there are a few things more human than going to a funeral right. even if you don't know the person or you know have any connection at all and it's that's just one of those ubiquitous 
human experiences that everyone can understand you know uh closing thoughts quick closing thoughts i drew lines in my head to this game with both norco and pentiment yeah it is about norco because of the it captures that sort of americana that sort of midwest industrial town feeling very well and with pentiment because it's it's literally about like the being built on the bones of the past yeah which pentiment is is a lot about to me very much so yeah anyone else closing thoughts i would like to put forth a uh, kind of mental challenge to folks. Mason, this isn't a, an attack on you, but I think people limit what video games can be in their mind and how they can engage with them based on specifically exactly what they want out of a video game, which is not a bad thing in terms of like having preferences. Everybody's got their preferences for art, but I think doing something that is unfun for you is good for you. Just like on a base level. And there were multiple points in this game where I was just kind of bored, but I just kept playing. Well, I mean, I kept playing cause I have to record a podcast, but like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a lot of, you know, I always, unfortunately, if I'm playing a game on Steam, will look at the Steam reviews and I always inevitably am like, wow, this person is very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> because like, I'll, your average Steam reviewer, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll read, I'll read a review and it'll be like, why wasn't this a movie? Why yeah. wasn't this a book? And I'm like, I ask you to just sometimes go out of your comfort zone, experience things differently, and don't go into it with the expectation of it being a specific thing. And I think that can alleviate a little bit of the pain of it being a thing that you don't expect it yeah. to be. Meet, meet a piece of media where it's at. Don't try to force it to be something that it's not. So... Next week, or next episode, we're going to be talking about Citizen Sleeper, which I have, whenever I look up stuff about Disco Elysium, this game comes up a lot, so. I, I watched the trailer for it on on the PlayStation Store, and it, Haley and I both immediately drew comparisons to Disco Elysium. It's available on literally everything, Switch, Xbox, PlayStation, You can Steam. run it. You can run it on a single cell. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll be what we're doing next time.